Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to The Truth Response. We hope you enjoy. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on, world? So great for you to join us again. I don't even know what number this is, like 10, I think. Whoa, this is 10. We hit double digits today, y'all. Yeah. This is so exciting. Yeah. And what's even more exciting is what we get to talk about today. So today is all about turning over tables and fashioning whips and driving people out of the temple courts. What's better than that? Like, you are so lucky and glad you tuned in today. I want to kick it off first but by saying welcome to the prayer room. Yeah, so I was looking at just the viewers, you know, you guys, and I want to have a shout out to whoever in Germany is listening to our podcast. That was really exciting to see. Uh, if you make it to this episode, shout out to you. Uh, share with all your friends. That was kind of a cool thing to see. Yeah. Um, there's like 24-ish uh, regulars, so that's kind thank of exciting you. to see too. So yeah. thank you guys so much for uh, supporting and listening and following along with us yeah well that's really exciting i didn't realize we had a, a german listener yeah i saw that this morning yeah. and was like whoa <laughs> like we got somebody from germany listening so i'll curb my german joke. shout out shout out to you you should uh message us on facebook either at lacc or um whatever our the new one response. is the truth response uh on facebook we have a page now i think yes and um we also have an email address, which is thetruthresponse at gmail.com that you can hit up. So today we continue the party because last week it was all about alcohol. This week it's all about violence. So Jesus is a man of many hats. I mean, if the, if the, if the first part of John doesn't make you love Jesus, I don't know what does. I mean, turning water into wine, having an incredible party, and now fashioning whips, turning over tables, and... Throwing people out of the temple courts is really exciting. But before we get into that, we have another special guest this week. <laughs> We've got to introduce Carl. Carl, where are you from? I'm from Salem, Missouri. Salem, South Missouri. Central Missouri. Awesome. And what church are you at? at? Corinth Baptist Church. Okay. We even welcome Baptists on our program, too. So there you go, world. We are all inclusive. <laughs> Does that mean I have to stop with the Baptist jokes today? Uh, oh, no, go, for so. go for it. Go for it. It's going to be all right. Actually, it hasn't stopped Derek slash Hector is... We have. Uh, I make Baptist know, jokes occasionally too. We kind of have a Baptist side of the room over here, and Whoa. you know, there's well, already there's already even, division. It is even the odds. We, we have even the odds now. So. I mean, Jesus did say he would separate the goats from the sheep. So. Oh. <laughs> Well, that's all right. We're all shepherds. You guys are the sheep. <laughs> well, hey, let's get into this thing because there's, I mean, there's just so much good stuff. You want to hear this. This is a fun story. This is fun. Who's doing it? Lizzie, are you doing it? She always does it. <laughs> okay, so we're in um, John 2, verse 13 is where we're starting. Um, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build the temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he had performed and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all the people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what is in each person. So good. I love this. Right on the heels mm. of, uh, I mean, John chapter 2. Like, if you don't love John chapter 2, there's something wrong. But here we have it. So Jesus clears the temple courts. Now, the really crazy thing is this isn't the first time we hear about this in Scripture. I mean, this is the this is the last gospel. If you've read through the other three, you realize there is a mention of Jesus clearing the temple courts. 
However, does Jesus clear the temple courts once or twice? Right. That's, that's a, a good question. That's a big question, right? That's like the million dollar question. As that, many times it needs to be done. <laughs> right. And, and maybe that's the true answer because when you read about it in the other gospels, you find that this happens just before he ends up getting arrested and crucified and, and, and that part. It happens during Passion Week. But here we have this. Jesus kicks off his ministry in Cana, water into wine, and then all of a sudden we're fast forward into Jerusalem and Passover feast is happening, still fits the context of, of what we read about in the other Gospels, but here he is driving people out in the temple courts. Like, does it matter? Does it matter how we read this in John chapter 2? Well, I don't think I don't, it makes a lot of difference. Um, one of the things you have to keep in mind is uh, John, his purpose in telling the story is not to get it all in the right order. It's really important for him to be able to see the character of Jesus. So when we see how Jesus responds, John exposes that. So for him to be able to start off with Jesus is the light in the darkness, chapter 1, then chapter 2, Jesus is, is turning water into wine. He's at the party. He's involved with people. And then uh, second part of chapter 2, here he is, um, a man of, of anger who is doing something for the will of God, um, zeal for his father's house, to be able to clean the temple, to be able to make it right in that place of worship. Yeah. And so I think when we look at that, we, we're we actually seeing John expose Jesus as a person, his character character development and the idea that we're trying to understand who Jesus is. Yeah. And we kind of touched on that in previous episodes too, with that John has been setting up, like setting up Jesus this yeah. whole time, like, you know, in, in his in his gospel the whole time up until now it's kind of been a setup of who who he's going to end up point you know what the end goal is so. yep. i think it's pretty clear that regardless of whether this happened once or twice or six times uh the message is the same here mm-hmm. and his reason for doing it is the same and what we can take away from it is going to be the same regardless of that yeah and i think that just before we like dig in dig in that it's it, Once again, on the whether or not he did it once, twice, or whatever, he did it a final time, and that was when he died on the cross. He essentially cleared those temple courts because we didn't need all Mm. that stuff anymore. So, like, that's that's one thing that's which drives you farther into the into the passage, you know, where Jesus says, "Destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days." Interesting to note, seventy years later, AD seventy, the temple is completely destroyed, and the only place of worship is those who are in Christ. That's incredibly significant. I, I mean, I would imagine that Jesus only did it once, and here's my rationale. So everybody in this room has children. If yes. your child cleans the house, only ever happens once, right? That is awesome. That's it. <laughs> Never happens more than once without some form of negotiation. So, and I'm pretty sure... But this was Jesus, so he would have been better than just the normal child. Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> but it would have caused a lot of issues. Like, yeah. so I, I I see, like, the seriousness of one time, It that's probably... <laughs> that would probably tip the scales quite a bit, yeah. you know? So. Does he yeah. want to teach his disciples bad <laughs> practices? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, is it a bad practice to clean the house? Is it a bad oh, practice man. to clean the go. temple out? I mean, here no. we've got people who are showing up in the temple courts with with their their changing stations for money. They're being able to bring in um, all these oxen and sheep for slaughter, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the temple worship. But instead of it being uh, a place of worship, I mean, when we talk about this, a lot of times people say that this is in the outer court, right? This is yep. the place that was set aside for Gentiles to be able to worship at the temple to be able to worship God. They weren't allowed in the temple, so they're able to come close to the presence of God in this court. But what's in the way? Sheep, oxen, uh, money changers, people who are more focused on money and commerce than they are focused on worship, and they've pushed the Gentiles away. So the people of Israel are supposed to be a light to the nations, but instead they've, they've driven the nations out of God's presence. Yeah, incredibly significant. So in, in, in our you know, time of quarantine, when you're trying to find things to watch on TV, I found the show Hell on Wheels, okay? Nice. (laughs) And it's it's Gordon Ramsay, right? So, really, Christian show, 
obviously, right? It's definitely what it is. And, and what you see is you see Gordon Ramsay rolling into these places that are basically on the verge of collapse. Okay? And so he rolls in, and what does he do? Like, he goes undercover first. Oh, this is this is great. This is the way this is going to work out. So how do you not know who Gordon Ramsay is? He you walks don't into know your... who Gordon Ramsay. No, I'm is? saying, how do you oh. not know? Like, how does he? How, how's how do you? Recover? How do you be a restaurant and not know who Gordon Ramsay so, is? Like, this is cool. Like, you got to watch a show because he puts on these disguises and oh, then he okay. finds a bunch of local people that he goes and hangs out with, and you wouldn't know. Like, when yeah. you look at these, okay, these I was gonna say, like, I don't understand. Hair. He doesn't. He doesn't curb the accent because that's kind of hard. Right. But then he goes in and he finds some local people, and I think they're they're critics of some sort that he'll hunt down, and they'll go in and they'll order like everything on the menu, and it, you know he'll try everything, and obviously everything is disgusting at that point. But before that, he has this crew that'll go in, and I don't even know how they work that out, but they install cameras in in and throughout the entire restaurant to to scope out what's really going on, and it's under the guise of winning a renovation or kind of thing like that. So he goes in, ha- you know, they have the meal. It's horrible, of course. The service is bad. Everything's bad. Train wreck. And then he goes up into the bathroom, takes off his costume, goes out into the into the restaurant, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, it's Gordon Ramsay. Look who it is. <laughs> and everybody starts freaking out. And then immediately he says, all right, if you're it, everybody in here right now, put your forks down. You're not eating anymore. <laughs> He's like, you're done. Everything is done. This restaurant is now closed. So it's so awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome to see this happen and everybody's like amazed. And then he, he takes everybody out of the restaurant and he's got this truck, which has been retrofitted the back of it into this massive kitchen. And it folds like it's a, it's a transformer is what it is. <laughs> so, I mean, it's Optimus Prime is what it is. And it, it transforms and then he, he replays on this really big screen how horrible everything is like you see rats and you see cockroaches and you see grease and you see nasty and not clean and gross and old food and ev- breaking every law like of the restaurant world. And then he says, okay, we've got 24 hours. Are you in? And then it's clear house. Like they, they completely remodel the dining room. They oftentimes completely remodel the kitchen. They do it in 24 hours. They pull out all the old, bad, nasty, gross, disgusting, shouldn't be there, and they retrofit it with something that is supposed to be there, and it operates the way it's supposed to happen. Right. He pulls all the chefs into this, you know, Hell on Wheels, Hell's Kitchen, Optimus Prime truck, and they learn a new menu that has to do with their specific cuisine, and for 24 hours, these people don't sleep. They exhaust themselves tirelessly in making this restaurant a success, and then they have like a grand reopening. And and so all of this backstory to say it's kind of what Jesus is doing. Like he's rolling in Gordon Ramsay style, <laughs> and he's saying, Mm-mm, "This is disgusting what you have done to this place." Right. I mean, and he knows what's going on. Like he didn't have to have cameras because he's got the ultimate camera, which is the Holy Spirit, right? He is in all, through all, sees all. It's all happening. It's all going down. And so he rolls in to dad's house, to dad's kitchen, and he's like, mm-mm, I know what this is. And it's funny because nobody else really realizes who he is. And then all of a sudden, he starts overturning tables. He starts fashioning whips. He starts driving people out. So this this show, check it out. You know, I mean, it's vulgar, not going to lie. They bleep out stuff. But, hey, check it out. Jesus would check it out, I think, um, because he lived it, right? He probably didn't curse at people while he was turning over tables, but probably not. He did, yeah. did fashion a whip. I, think I imagine a few people were cursing him. There you go. Yeah, well, I'm I don't sure know. He, he's been known to call call him broods of vipers and stuff like that, and that's he had some tough language, risque language, you know, for that day. Yeah, it was offensive, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so. Regardless, yeah. Yeah. Uh oh. You know, one of the interesting things about the Gordon Ramsay story is that, you know, it, Nick, if you had if you had uh, drove up to Jeff's uh, Chinese truck and and shut down the, the truck, shut down the restaurant, you don't you don't I don't recognize you as an authority. Nope. You can't go out, walk into anybody's restaurant and shut it down. 
But if Gordon Ramsay walks into your restaurant and shuts it down, you're going to shut it down. Yeah. You know, it, he's he's got the the authority to do that. Not 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 a an office authority, but he's a recognized as someone you don't you respect in the industry, so on and so forth. So if he wants to shut your restaurant down, you better shut it down. Yeah, that's a great point. You, you don't go against Gordon Ramsay's recommendations without a lot of public outcry. And I think the, yep. the religious leaders at the time were in that same spot for sure. Yeah. I mean, Jesus walks into, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Nick, he walks into the temple and he shuts it down. Now that brings to mind the question under what authority did they recognize that he was able to do this? Yep. And so I think Nick, you're right. I'm not saying it could, it could have been more than one time that he did this. Sure. I tend to think this is an out-of-sequence story in the Gospel of John, because at this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus doesn't have any recognized, or much, if any, recognized authority, yep. Right. not not to the masses. So I, I tend to think this was an out-of-sequence story in the Gospel, because John's more interested in revealing who he is than about the sequence of events in yeah. the correct order. Well, I like your authority thought there, too, because that's exactly what the Jews respond to him. What what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. Like, who, who, who <laughs> how dare you? Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting that they asked for signs. Yeah. So at this point, we've only heard of the wedding at Cana, the one sign. Mm -hmm. But we know that Jesus ends up doing lots of miracles between the wedding at Cana and three years later um, during Holy Week. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's kind of neat that they've been seeing signs. Now they're wondering, OK, you've just done something that requires authority. What are you going to show us? Yep. To be? And he doesn't. He doesn't show him anything. Yep. He says, hey, watch out for the temple to be destroyed and then to come back in three days. Yep. And they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and that's that's one of those themes that we see in John. It's a science. In fact, a lot of scholars call this this portion of John the book of signs. And okay. it's about the seven signs that show up. Wedding in Cana, temple being turned over, and you know we'll, we'll obviously dive through the remainder of those in the coming years that it'll take us to get through <laughs> the book of John. But, you know, we, we see that it's signs, and it's almost like John's begging you as the reader to say, well, what are the signs? And then all of a sudden you start exploring his gospel, and you're like, oh, there's one. Oh, there's another one. Yeah. Oh, one more. Oh, there's seven. Hm, number of completion. And then John even makes that statement, yo, I can't even, there is not a book in the world big yes. enough to record the signs and miracles that this mm -hmm. guy has performed. So right. you just got to trust me on this. I think another component to this and why they did shut it down is because, and you can go back to the Ramsey uh, narrative uh, or the Ramsey illustration, uh, Jesus spoke the truth and the money changers, the, the, the people selling livestock and the Jews, as well as the fit religious leaders, all knew that what they were doing was out of line with scripture. Mm -hmm. It just took Jesus to reveal They knew it was going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They just weren't doing anything about it. Yeah. So when yeah. Jesus came in there and, and shut it down, he had the authority to do so first and second. He also was in the right in, in the sense that, that everyone else knew that what they were doing was shady. And, uh, and, and so when he, when he, he dropped the hammer or cracked the whip, yeah. um, you know, they didn't really have anywhere to stand on. They didn't have a recourse, yeah. not a legal one anyway. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's anything to this. I couldn't find anything from any commentaries or anything. But in, in verse 15, where it says he made a whip of cords, which which we love to talk about that Jesus making whip of cords. You know, one of the, the things that we have to recognize is that what what adorned the priest's robes? Mm. But it was all these cords, these tassels, right? Right. And the longer the tassels, the more significance, the more decorative, the more significance. So I don't know. Is John pulling in some of this, this symbolic priestly language, fashioning the, the whip out of these out of cords, you know, symbolizing that there's no significance in these cords. In fact, I'm gonna use these cords to dispel and disperse what you've done to this place. I don't know. I like the thought. Your false yeah, authority. Yeah, it's an interesting thought for sure. Against you. I, I tend to think it was probably a, a leather 
whip of some sort. And the reason is because who cares if you, if, <laughs> yeah, if you come in with, with a, with a cord of thread, I mean, then you're not going to hurt anybody. That's not doing anything. Sure. Sure. Uh, I'm going to laugh at you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He may have woven the thread into it, maybe symbolically. Yep. You say it can't um, hurt anybody, but you know, if you try hard enough, you can make it. You've been popped by a towel, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the locker room yes, towel has. episode. Yes. Yeah. Well, but, but I actually own a whip. I, I have a whip um, at home. And so many the, comments the that tip aren't of appropriate it. for podcasts right now. No, he <laughs> has never ride, used it on me. <laughs> wow. All of this. Ladies and gentlemen, ride. we are done. Um, and we're back. <laughs> so, no, but I, I own a whip from from somewhere when I was a kid. You wanted um, to be Indiana Jones. Just admit it. Yeah, right, right. Exactly no, it was it. something like that. Uh, <laughs> but the tip of it is actually, it's like almost string mm-hmm. sized. So the tip of it, the part that's like, does all the snapping is actually really thin. Yeah. So it's not thick. The only thick part of it is the part that gets it there. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the there may be something to, to that too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You think yeah. about like paracord, you know, Lizzie's brother does those paracord things and you can, you know, that's, that's heavy, heavy duty. And I mean, you could braid that and probably beat somebody to death with paracord. You could probably beat somebody yeah. to death with just one strand of that. Yeah. The jokers are tough. I think yeah. it's interesting. You know, whatever, whatever he did, whatever materials he used to make the whip that he made the whip, like, mm-hmm. Right. He sees this this injustice, this trotting on of the law, and you know he goes in like method. It's so methodical and and so well intentioned. And and I'm thinking like you know as I I think about this with my children, you know they're I don't uh, I don't think I have I don't remember the last spanking I've given, but you know when they were growing up, one of my personal methods for issuing corporal uh, punishment was in my home was that I would not spank in anger. Right. And yep, so like if I if the if the if the offense warranted a spanking, then I would often do that and it was twofold for me. I I would send my children to their room and I would say, sit in your room. I'm gonna have to spank you, but I'm too angry to do it now. So stay here until I've calmed down enough to spank you. Well, for that half hour, 40 minutes, what my kids are in agony. That that is worse than the spanking, I've been told. I've been told. But yeah. the idea is that Jesus, you know, he's he's I think he's angry. Well, obviously I know he's angry. Yeah. But he sits down and he starts doing this thing. And as he's doing it, I think he's processing. In, in the way that Jesus does, however, a, a fully divine and fully human person processes this anger, you know, he, he doesn't just lash out. So this is a methodical, well thought out, intentional yeah. action that mm-hmm. he does. Here's a big and word for you. Premeditated. Premeditated. Yes. I used a big word yes. this week. If he yes. had just lashed out in anger, like, uh, uh, like the disciple did when he cut off the, the soldier's ear then that would, you know, it could look like he reacted. Yeah. But since Jesus didn't react, he sat down, made this whip, and his actions were premeditated and righteous. Right. That he can, he he's able, this is being angry and sinning not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which it's, we think about, like, people talk about righteous anger and stuff like that, and I don't know that we as humans can actually have <laughs> that. <laughs> And do that correctly. Yeah. Like we can be upset about something, but it's usually other drivers. Yeah, other drivers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I tend to want. I tend to have a righteous anger, but a fleshly <laughs> manifestation. <laughs> yeah. Of it. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, something may be un- unjust that I get angry about, but usually my reaction to it is is not righteous. Yeah. Amen. But I also want to point out that from a different perspective. Uh, uh, Jesus is being super creative because he takes what's around him and makes this. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like we don't often get to see the creative side of Jesus. Right, I'm just right. putting that out as a creative person. <laughs> yeah. If Jesus can use the stuff that's around him, so can you. <laughs> there you that go. Pop yeah. tabs, man. <laughs> Who knows what would have happened? Yeah. <laughs> 
Sorry, Lizzie makes things out of pop tabs and paracord. Like she makes bracelets, purses, dresses. I've seen the all kinds of stuff. So. You're just multi-talented. <laughs> yeah, she. I like to just else. take weird things and create, make things with them. So yeah, this creative, like, oh, use what we have. Having experience moving livestock, Jesus could have done all this without a whip, but I think he chose the whip on purpose as a as a object of authority. Um, can you imagine being a money changer and being like, dude, what's up? And then suddenly, oh, there's a whip. Never mind. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what was going on. There's some there's some belief that he used the whip to simply drive out the livestock and not necessarily on people. I mean, we well, I wasn't. I'm yeah. not saying that Jesus was using a weapon against people in the temple. But, sure, sure, right. But the threat was there, and and even if if you don't, even if he's not directly threatening you, may not be the best time to pick a fight. There's an object. There's, <laughs> he, he has in his hand an object of authority. Right. Or yeah. Right. We've already talked about the people being sheep. Maybe he was treating them, driving them all like out. cattle to That's drive them out. That's fair. Yep. I mean, because we're not talking about just any time that we, we see money generally talked about in, in Scripture, it's usually a negative connotation, mm-hmm. and it's because people are cheating people out of money. Right. There's a filthy, so it, filthy there's, aspect. There's... More than likely, I would say, they're cheating people out of money, exchange rates are being inflated, you know, doing that sort of thing. I mean, because it was a normal thing to to do in the temple. Yeah. Was what to, you brought wasn't to, good enough, you have to exchange it for this. Right. right. But it, it was normal to, to not travel thousands and thousands of miles or whatever, you know, days and days and weeks and weeks to with your stuff. Yeah. And you would then trade at the temple. That was part of the reason that was there. Yep. So some would say that there was an inflation going on and saying, well, here, you can have it, but I get my cut of, mm. of this right. for doing this. And mm. so maybe they just needed to be cattle down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah I, I wonder if there is a heart issue at the root of this as well, in this sense, that if you are now, I, I know what you're saying, that if people are traveling long distances to get there, bringing their sacrifice with them would have been uh, a, a difficult logistics. Sometimes. Yeah. It would yeah. have been more difficult. Uh, but the, I think the idea is this, that if, Let's say that you're a person of, you know, at least uh, uh, above the median standard of life, whatever region you live in the ancient Near East, and you opt to leave your sheep in the field and walk to Jerusalem, and you get there and you've got a bag of money, and you buy a sheep that's less than what you could have provided on your own if you had brought your own sheep. That reveals a heart condition. And you can know that, like, that doesn't, it's not... That's implied in in the text. It's undercurrent in the text True. is that these the the buyers and the sellers were being deceitful. Sure. The buyer or the sellers were being deceitful with the buyers, and the buyers were being deceitful with their hearts towards God. Now, I do also at the same time think that there were Jews who took this very seriously and bought the very best that they could buy when they got to Jerusalem. Um, but I, at the same time, I also know, because I know people, <laughs> that there were Jews that were like, hey, you know, we can leave our good sheep in the field and we'll just buy something when we get there. And the sellers were certainly selling animals that were not sacrifice worthy. And then you've got the Pharisees that are allowing it to happen. Yeah. All the all the the Levites are are going on, and yeah. so the sticklers. There's for a the lot rules of corruption. The ones breaking them. Yeah. What's that? The, the ones that are st- the sticklers for the rules and following the rules are the ones that are breaking them. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think it's because they're monetizing it. They're oh, monetizing yeah. the oh, yeah. corruption. And when you put money in it, you know it it it, it goes bad in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus um, quoting from the book of Hosea, and he's talking about the sacrifice system and how people are not engaging correctly. And that's exactly what you're talking about here. He quotes Hosea 6.6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. Burnt offerings yeah. was the first sacrifice that you would give, and then the, um, the sin offering the other sacrifices would be given to be able to rectify your situation. So uh, the sin, the burnt offering was to say, I acknowledge that God is holy and I am not. And then your other sacrifices would be given to rectify your sin, to be able to, to clean, make you clean in God's sight. Yeah. And so what he's saying here is, 
I desire steadfast love, hesed, mercy. I, I want you to actually love me instead of bringing me that sin offering. I want you yeah. to acknowledge me as God instead of bringing a burnt offering. And so what we end up seeing is the people are going through the motions by presenting these offerings, whether they're acceptable or not. And then they're not actually doing it to honor God. They're doing it mm -hmm. so that they can be right in their own eyes. They're doing it so yep. that they can actually continue in sin um, without having uh, social penalty. And They're so, checking the boxes. Yep. Exactly, exactly. And we, I mean, we see that happen with today all, all the time. Okay, I went to church. I threw a 20 in the plate. But we're not willing to let Jesus be Lord of our lives. We're not willing to yeah. um, love him. We're not willing to invest in spending time in his word or spending time in prayer, asking him, what do you want to do with me today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see you're right. I, I see it all the time in our society. And, and maybe we're cutting ahead to the questions now, Derek. I don't know, but <laughs> it's probably about um, time anyways, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, do you want, I don't know if you want to ask the question. Why, or not. Uh, why is it important? It's important for what Carl just said. What we do in our culture, we, we so often look back to history with a critical eye without recognizing this very same thing in our own life. And so in much the same way, we don't have animals and money changers at the temple. But what we do is we've done a two things, I think, in, in our religious system in America, specifically, we have consumerized the church uh, where people now shop for the church that uh, – makes them happy. And if at the first sign of trouble, they'll, they bail out and they go find another church. Right. Uh, so that's, that's one, uh, one thing. And the other thing is, is that there are so many people like, like Carl said, that drop a 20 in the plate. I, I lived in a, a community that was full of very large traditional churches. And so people, it was, they used to joke, there was a church on every corner across the street from every bar because yep. people would literally go to church. They'd be partying Friday, Saturday night, partying hard, show up at church. They do church on Sunday morning. And, you know, it was just this cycle. And so in the same way, uh, we show up, we do, we check the box, as Lizzie said, in our lives. And, you know, God's not interested in your $20 bill or in your attendance on Sunday morning. In fact, I, I, as a, I've had people ask me, you know, my pastor, he's always telling me we need to tithe, we need to give 10% and so on and so forth. What do you think of that, Pastor Jeff? And I'm like, your pastor's only asking for 10%? <laughs> I said, Jesus asked for everything. It's all his. If he's asking for, if your pastor's only hammering on 10%, he's offering you a deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the idea is just what, out of Hosea, what Carl said, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And so he doesn't desire us to go and, and, and check the box and put money in the plate. He desires our hearts to be fully engaged in worshiping him. And part of how we worship him is with the things that mean the most to us. Now, I know few Americans uh, who would uh, who would think money means less than top one or two things in their life. And so for us, as it was in the in the ancient Near East, money reveals the condition of the heart. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. So when we're corrupt with God, with our money, it reveals the relationship. I think that nailed relevance to how is it relevant. Yeah. I think that that was a good sum up of why or why is it important and um, how is it relevant. So what do we do about this? How do we respond to, you know? We make whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Out of bottle caps, right? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it requires change and it ex requires extreme change. Um, which people have difficulty with the uh, little change, uh, <laughs> but extreme change is very hard and it requires you to change the way that you do things. It required them to rethink how they were doing, uh, selling these things and how, where they were doing it and how they were doing it and the way that they were doing it. And it requires the same of us. Uh, if we see something that we know, like, Oh man, that's not right, but we're still doing it. Like it requires an extreme change. And, mm -hmm. Not only that, is sometimes it requires somebody else to call you out right. and being open to hearing that from somebody because that is the hardest thing when somebody calls you out on something. Mm -hmm. um, I know I do not take it well from my husband. Um, I shut down and won't. We'll probably try and do the opposite of what he tells me um, <laughs> <Isn't that> what, <laughs> if he calls me out on stuff. Every wife responds. 
yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, am I your typical wife in this? Like, that's a, what's a, I don't know. I think I do that when I receive criticism from my wife, you know, when my wife criticizes me, I, I kind of run from it initially and then say, okay, um, you know what, there was some wisdom in what you had to say. I just didn't want to admit it at the moment. I don't run from it. I confront it and I disagree with it most of the time. And then I realize, oh, I probably should not have treated her that way and have to go back and apologize. So occasionally I cry. (laughs) Yeah. Good times. Try not to cry, but sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does it come down to? It comes down to clean the house, right? Just like what Jesus did. He cleaned the house. He, He took a hard look and recognized that there were a lot of things that aren't the way they were supposed to be. Just right. like Gordon Ramsay, right? Sorry, going exactly. back there again. Yeah, yeah. Right? He shows up in a restaurant, he recognizes things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and and you know you you see the owners. Now I'm only a handful of episodes into it, but you see the owners first not want to admit that there's a problem. Exactly. They they know that something's wrong, but they don't want to admit the problem. And what's the problem in every case? Them. Right. Uh It all comes from them as the as the owner, as the leader. They set the tone. And if they're too relaxed, if they're too critical, if if they don't have any compassion on the people around them or if they're so hyper compassionate, they don't want to hold people accountable. Right. What happens is you have this once flourishing business that is now within months of Mm -hmm. shutting its doors. And, And Jesus just wants us to to be held accountable. And it requires cleaning house sometimes. It requires going in, and it requires recognizing that man, we got a roach infestation. Yeah. We've got mm-hmm. we got rats all over the place. We got dust. We got mold. We got stuff inside of us that has been there for way too long that we've got to get rid of. And and now is the time. Like and and we do have to oftentimes have that person that can come in alongside of us that says, "Here's your issue." Like and you've got to deal with it. It takes turning yeah. on the lights. Yeah. You know, it's not until you turn the lights on you see the roaches. Sure. Uh, when you're walking yep. around in the dark, you can ignore the sound of scurrying sure. stuff going on. You yep. know, oh, that was just my imagination. Yeah. That's what's happening in our Christian lives. Yeah. Is we're going, you know, it's just my imagination that uh, I'm not as close to God as I once was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just my imagination that, uh, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I haven't read the Bible in the last week or month. Uh, you know, yeah. and and what ends up happening is it becomes something we we have to turn the lights on. We have to be called out. Somebody has to call us. Call us out and say, you know what? There's an issue here. Yep. Personally, there's an issue here. Uh, corporately, yep. you know, there's an issue here across the community, across the nation. Yep. Well, and bringing it back to the language from this text specifically, um, in 17, 17 says his disciples remembered that it was written, "Zeal for your house will consume me." Um, and really, we we hear the word "consume" a lot like all-consuming fire, you know, and and the fact that we are to be consumed with just wanting Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. wanting to show Jesus. And consumption, like consuming something, isn't just like taking a nibble at it. You know, it's not just taking a bite out of something. Right. I think of food. I'm a foodie. Mm-hmm. I like food a lot. <laughs> um, and so I like to consume food. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, it's it's just taking it all like just consuming it eating it in its entirety my mom used to call it wolfing it down wolfing it down (laughs) yes oh yes oh yes did you even take enough time to eat to taste that um but but we we are to be consumed by jesus's presence and his love and the holy spirit we are to be consumed yeah not it's not necessarily that we're consuming which we i mean we're consuming his word and, and scripture but we are to be consumed with that same kind of zeal that he had and we are we are to be overcome with being like him and his presence and his love um to the point where it it can't help but spread you know and people won't like us for it and right. people um will feel more loved than they've ever felt before which almost feels like a contrast you know but like we are to be that just overtaken by Jesus that that it, we are consumed by it ate up yeah. with passion for what he's ate up about yeah, yeah. The yeah. neat thing about that is when when we finally stop fighting Jesus, when we finally stop fighting the Holy Spirit, and we allow him to, to con- consume us, when we submit our lives to him, and these are hard words for American ears to hear, yeah. when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, 
fully and completely. We stop checking boxes. Right. It's no longer about doing the thing because we're supposed to do the thing. It's about doing the thing because you're you're compelled to do it from from the depth of your soul. It's it literally it transforms from a box check to an act of worship. And that is what Jesus wants. That is what God the Father wants. Well, down here, down here, we're we're in Southwest Florida. Um, for those who don't know where we're at, um, we've been having some uncontrolled fires lately. Um, we deal with it yearly, probably. <laughs> yeah. Different different areas, but yeah, we we deal with it a lot. And I mean, across the world. I mean, look, you know, Australia got hit with wildfires and everything like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a when you become consumed. It's like that that all-consuming fire, like I was talking about. Like it goes from taking it in this this um, like campfire controlled to controlled area, the checkbox, to this wildfire that can't be contained Absolutely. and it spreads. Like that's, I mean, you see you see the whole uh, later on when the Holy Spirit you know comes upon the disciples, um, the apostles, and and then people were flocking and converting to to it like it just spread like a wildfire right. mm-hmm. because when you are consumed by Jesus it can't be contained it's a whole that's why it talks about you become a new creation like right. it's because yep. you you can't you stop and that's that's also why we need to recheck our flame on a regular basis is because a lot of times it's really easy for those of us who grew up in the church. Like for me, I grew up in the church. I, I, I checked all of the boxes my whole life, you know, whether that was going above and beyond or not. I I was at the very least checking the boxes since I was born pretty much, you know, like sitting on the deacon's knee and he was telling me how much I was going to be a missionary or a senior pastor someday. Like, so I, I grew up in the church and I have seen in my life a lot of times that I have stopped making sure that 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 fire is out of control, you know, right. mm-hmm. that that is that that spark is just a little flame. It's not going to go out. That that fire can't go out because I don't control it going out. You know, I, I he's faithful. When we're not. I, faithful. I believe mm-hmm. God did what he did and that's not going to change. But. I control how much fuel I put on that fire, mm-hmm. and yep. um, God it's supplies all the fuel we want to put on the fire. Yeah. That's the thing. Like the source of the fuel is unlimited and and is infinite, but we are the ones who are pumping it. I think and, sometimes we get to choose what kind of fuel we put on the fire. Have you ever put mm-hmm. an old wet log on a fire? It like starts to smolder. It burns down. Everything slows down mm-hmm. because what we're putting into it's not building up the fire. But when you throw gasoline on a fire, it ignites, right? Mm-hmm. So the same thing happens in our Christian walk. Uh, an old moldy log is when we start letting gossip roll in. Mm-hmm. You know, we start allowing uh, what people think in the church to mm-hmm. have more to do with how we run church than what God thinks, what Scripture tells us yeah. in following after the Holy Spirit. But that gasoline is when we feel the Holy Spirit drive our hearts to, okay, this is the direction I want you to lead. Yeah. And usually our personal response is, well, wow, God, that's going to ruffle some feathers. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure I want to go that way because that's going to that's going to have an effect, right? When we throw gasoline on the fire, we're like, okay, I'm going might explode, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, and so that's the the same result happens in the church when we say, okay, Holy Spirit, lead us, mm-hmm. and when that happens, it's transformational in a huge way. Now, I think sometimes we try to to do it both ways. Okay, let's get the the moldy log and pour the gasoline on it, and then put it in the. And, and we're trying to control the effect, mm-hmm. and it ends up being a held back version mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit's passion and fire that sure. could be burning up our church. But yeah. instead, it's got a smoldering log on it. Well, and and the, the playing off of that tradition, tradition, right? Absolutely. Tradition is great. Tradition. Traditions that we've had before, that is that those embers that are at the bottom that have collected the coals at the bottom of the fire, right? But if you just keep throwing tradition on top of it, that's that wet log. Like if you stay on tradition and that's it, that is that wet log you're putting on there because it'll eventually get hot enough, you know, to dry out, to to then become a coal at the bottom of the pile. But but those those coals of tradition are also – what allows that new that new fuel, that fresh fuel, to ignite. Exactly. And then it becomes the coals and the tradition for the next 
set of whatever. You know, so so it's the scripture that we've read that the Holy Spirit brings up to remembrance. If we haven't read it, it's not there to bring up. Mm-hmm. So when we put into effect that spiritual formation of spending time in the Word, of of even going through Leviticus, you know, those books that are hard to get through, read them, uh, try to understand them, seek counsel to to discover them more, uh, and then when we spend time in prayer. Uh, recognizing that that's not just um, sitting alone in a closet talking to ourselves. We are are actually um, being able to have a connection with God. We're being able to talk to Him. We're being able to work through. It's not just bringing up our our problems uh, and our requests, asking for what we want. It's actually being able to bring to Him the situation and Him respond. And it's just like my son. Uh, well, he comes to me and he wants something. And he asks me, Dad, I want this. But he's not ready to receive my answer. So what ends up happening is I'll say, you know, son, that's not going to be the best thing for you. And then he's upset because he didn't get what he wanted. But it was because he came with the wrong expectation. If he came expecting to hear my answer, I want to know what Dad says, whether it's yes or no, and I'm going to receive it. That ends up with a different result. And so that's how we need to come to God is when we come, we say, God, here's my problem. And now here's my request. This is what I want to, This is what I think would be a good option. And then when God answers differently, we recognize, one, my request probably wasn't what needed to happen because he gave me a different option, and this is going to be more effective than what I could come up with. Yep. Yeah, he sees the big picture. Exactly. So much more than we do. Yeah. Well, I like this this wildfire idea. And, um, you know, another thing that we, we have to recognize, we hate the spread of fire because it destroys the things that we've built. Right. Uh, it destroys the things that we've invested our time and our money and our, our energy and our hearts in. Um, but truly wildfire is restorative. So even though it's painful in the moment that you're going through it, uh, it destroys things, it kills things, but it also brings new life. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, I think about zeal. I think about the people that were there that day. Um, I don't think that they started out. (laughs) I don't think that they started out the way that they were that day. Um, just like we didn't start out the way we were today, but you think about zeal, when is when is your most zealous in your Christian walk? It's that moment when you first when you first are transformed, right? Um, I don't know that you ever regain that much zeal, but it's always an effort to try and bring that back. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to do here. And even going back to Gordon Ramsay, uh, these restaurants didn't start that way. No, they didn't go out and find rats and bring them into the kitchen. Um, it happened right. over time. It seeps in over time, and just the same way pressures and the worries of the world uh, seep into our lives over time. And we're going to see a difference in in our zeal and our enthusiasm and our passion for, for Jesus. You know, the traditions are going to, traditions come from a good place. Traditions come right. from yeah. something that you decided, like, this is a good thing and you do it enough and then it just becomes ordinary. It becomes, right. it becomes a rut. Uh, it becomes a crutch. Uh, it becomes a lot of bad things. A vain so, repetition. Exactly, exactly. So traditions are good things that have, over a long period of time, have become something else. And so it's just just a point of revival. Right. Um, and it's not something that happens once. You know, unfortunately, the house keeps becoming dirty. You know, the temple needs cleansed <laughs> repeatedly. And this is not something that we're going to do today and be like, okay, I'm set for life, you know. We need to come back. You know, if Gordon Ramsay goes back to that restaurant next year, how many of those places that did this complete turnaround are back in the same thing again, you know, back in the same processes and, and the same issues? Um, and then we see that in our own lives. Yeah. That brings you to the idea of renewing your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a restaurant manager and you're getting a new mindset when you're working with Ramsay, uh, you have to go back and go, let me watch that episode again. Let me think about what happened there because I see the entropy happening. I see the, the fall right. away occurring. And so then as I get back to the mentality, okay, let's reestablish some of these policies that Ramsey set up. It's the same when we look in our lives. Okay, let's reestablish how we follow Christ. We were following Christ and we saw the fire. Now we need to be able to continue following and walking in his way. And so we have to just um, bring that mentality back to him. Yeah, I mean, and along with that, they always show you the here's the three month later story. You know, right. here's how they've made the impl- they've implemented changes, and here's here's the result of those changes that have been implemented. And 
you don't hear a regression ever. You hear a, a progression. You hear something better. You hear the, oh, man, we were before we were three months away from closing our doors because we didn't have any business to now, hey, we're doing well. We're doing better than we were before, maybe better than what our best was at one time. And, uh, you know, it, it's all because of the changes that we made. But first, we had to destroy everything that we knew everything that we grew accustomed to, maybe not everything we knew, mm -hmm. everything we grew accustomed to in order to allow this, this new growth, in order to allow this change that needed to happen. And all that comes through Jesus. You know, that's what we have to get back to is Jesus is the Gordon Ramsay in our life. We welcome him in. We're welcoming in the brutal honesty. We're welcoming in the truth. We're welcoming in somebody that's going to tell us everything or show us everything that needs to be fixed and changed in our lives but unlike Gordon Ramsay, where he's only there for 24 hours for you to make a change, Jesus is willing to walk through the entirety of our lives mm -hmm. to allow us to implement those changes time and time again. And, right. he, you know, he sends us the advocate, right? The Holy Spirit. That is God in us. God living and dwelling inside of us to, to make sure we don't allow those rats to come back, to make sure we don't allow those cockroaches to come back, to make sure we do our diligence to clean up our workspace, you know, as as we're going through and picking up some of that mud, muck, and mire, um, you know, that, that we will trudge through. So one last tag before, before we yeah. wrap up, yeah. um, is, uh, and going along with the Gordon Ramsay thing, he doesn't, he doesn't come to, to restaurants that have got it all together. Right. You know, he, and that's the same with Jesus. Jesus doesn't expect us to get it all together right. before he comes and talks to you. You know, like, or before he jumps on board with you, he comes to you how you are right there in place. No changes. You could be, you know, a murderer. You could be whatever. Like, you can be sitting in prison. It, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. Jesus doesn't say, get your act together, and then I'll, I'll hop along with you. He says, here I am, you know. Accept me, and, and I will help you clean your house. You know, like He makes the change. Right. Awesome. Well, great discussion today. All of this coming from Jesus going into the temple and turning over some tables and uh, with whip in hand. So it's amazing. This is what God wants to do in our lives. This is what Jesus has modeled for us in his temple, and this is what he sent the Holy Spirit to do. So uh, if you are out there, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have concerns, whatever, uh, we are here to to answer or to, to discuss those questions that you may have. Uh, we've, we've had a, a few that were posted this past week, and, and we'll get to that point where we, we are able to go back and answer those. Uh, we would love for you to like, to share uh, this podcast, share it with your friends, maybe somebody that has some questions that these things pertain to. And uh, we would love to even hear your stories about how Jesus came into your house and, and how he cleaned house. Uh, how he wiped out all of those those unsavory things that were going on that shouldn't have been going on, um, even if it involved him fashioning a whip and, and driving some things out. Uh, but, hey, they're the best stories usually. So we, we are here for you. Um, send us a message on Facebook. We have a Gmail account as well, which is? TheTruthResponse at gmail.com. TheTruthResponse at gmail.com. Shoot us a message if you have one. Uh, and, hey, we are the truth response, and uh, we, we look forward to continuing to share the truth with you. God bless. Thank you for listening, and be sure to like us on iTunes, Spotify, and on our Facebook page at LACCFL, or Lehigh Acres Christian Church, and leave a comment about what you thought or would like to hear more of in the future. Yeah,